You may be seated, brethren. You take and locate your Bibles and turn with me to First Peter. First Peter chapter five. And as you're turning there, let me again express uh, my thanks and honor that it is for me to have been asked to be the, uh, the, the first speaker of the inaugural service for the church plant. Uh, we have been praying and continue to pray for God's leading <clears throat> in this matter. And uh, we're going to trust Him for the, uh, the outwork of all of it, where we go from here and we're going to continue to pray for you all and uh, pray that God will uh, eventually indeed establish uh, a biblically ordered church to His glorious name. My text is 1 Peter chapter 5, <clears throat> beginning in verse 5 and verse 7. Before I turn there, <clears throat> John Gruber forgot to bring my water up here, so I may ask Bob or, or, or Lee, Peter or somebody if they could find me a glass of water. I'd appreciate that for the pulpit. I was just teasing, by the way, with John, so... If you could get me a glass of water. Yeah. You've got something. He's going back. Pastor Black is going to go get it, Peter. So. <clears throat> I apologize for the interruption, but I <clears throat> get in the middle of here and throat gets dry. Or I want to make sure I have something to, to get us through. All right, First Peter chapter 5, again, beginning in verse 5. We'll read down to verse 7. You can follow along in your copies of the Scripture. Likewise... Um, Younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him for He cares for you. Again, the word of the Lord, brethren. Let's go to Him together in prayer. Our Father, as we again come to your throne of grace, we would ask for that grace to hear the word, your word, this afternoon. That you would help me, your servant, Lord, to bring this message to them and that, God, you would brand it upon their hearts. But there might even be some things here that, Lord, that they will remember long after this day is done to continue to help and to minister to them as they seek your will in planning this church. Help us, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord gives you abundantly above what you could ask or think. Thank you all. Appreciate that. Well, I have been thinking about this for a long time, and I've had no small struggle in seeking what to decide to preach on today. I've never had the privilege of preaching an inaugural sermon for a church plan and wasn't really sure what direction to go. There's so many important things that could be said and perhaps should be said but one sermon can't possibly cover everything, but I will do my best. We have heard, or I have heard, that years ago when uh, the church plant in Coconut Creek, Emmanuel, was starting off, that their first sermon was uh, around making sure you have your uh, first love, that you never forget your first love. You certainly don't want a church uh, full of Martha's who have not yet sat or do not sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And so that would have been a very good direction to have gone. 
And so let me exhort you, brethren, to not forget your first love as you become busy and as you become excited about what God is doing in your midst. Remember, always remember your first love. Never forget. Then considering that point, I almost felt compelled to preach on the necessity of the second great commandment, which is for you all to love one another. Truly another vital necessity if you are to succeed in planning a church to the glory of God. If you don't have true Holy Spirit-led love for one another, you will not long succeed in a Christ-exalting endeavor of planting one of His churches. So I offer these two verses on that point. Again, I quoted it earlier, but all men will know that you are His disciples if you have love for one another. And then a verse that I think gets overlooked so often, but it probably should be, and I wish it in some ways were more popular than John 3.16, which is 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, because He laid down His life for us, hear this, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It's the kind of love God is calling us to. So if you would grow and if you would attract others to this work, you must have such love for one another. And hear me when I say, God will bring you into circumstances to prove that love. It would be easy for you all to say, yes, we love each other, we have strong affections for one another, but you're going to have to prove it. And God will bring things in your midst to do that, to show that kind of sacrificial love that looks just like the kind the Lord Jesus Christ had for you. Because this is His commandment, that we love one another even as He has loved us. And then His next verse says, greater love has no one than this than the one to lay down his life for another. And this is what kind of love you're to have. And so let me exhort you, brethren, if you would succeed in planting a church, you must love your God preeminently and love one another sacrificially. And so while I had given some thought to preaching one of these two important subjects, I eventually landed on what I believe to be another vital element if you would succeed in planting a God-honoring, Christ-exalting church and it is the vital need for you all to go forth in humility. I said you, but this is certainly including us as elders and the brethren back in our church. If God resists the proud, then without humility, we will not have God on our side. Without humility, we may build a church building, but we will not build one of His churches. Now, before I go any further, I do want to point out to you that this is a topical sermon. This is not going to be strictly exposition of 1 Peter 5, 5-7. The brethren here from our church know that that is my constant practice to preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And I confess that I don't really like preaching topical sermons. In my early days when I didn't know that I was supposed to go verse by verse, I spent one day in my office in my first pastorate eight hours looking for something to preach. <clears throat> Never did that again. There's plenty there. Just go right into the book and study. But... On occasion, they are necessary, and I believe this is one of those particular occasions that it is necessary, and I trust helpful to you. And so with that said, I have four areas this afternoon where I want to share with you where you will be tested in this matter of humility. I may be even so bold as to say God will test you as well in these areas. He tested His Old Testament saints, and we can be assured He will test you. I almost preached Deuteronomy 8 this afternoon. But I chose not to, but I'm going to be alluding to it frequently. So here's the first verse from Deuteronomy, the second verse from Deuteronomy 8. He says, And you, that you remember now Deuteronomy, the people of God, the second generation about to enter into the promised land. He says, And you shall remember the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you 
and to test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And so the first point is this. Here's your first point in the area of humility. And that is in submitting to biblically ordered authorities. Submitting to biblical ordered, biblically ordered authorities. In this epistle, Peter mentions several areas where submission to authority is essential. And it culminates here in chapter 5 and verse 6 with the need to submit, obviously, to God. But the subject of submission comes up all the way back in chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. There are several areas. I'm just going to briefly mention them. I won't read the text. But in chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, we're called to submit to civil authorities. Because of COVID lockdowns, there has been much discussion on this issue concerning where the lines are between when and when not to submit. It's not always so easy. But generally speaking, a church filled with gung-ho revolutionaries would soon get its priorities mixed up. The kingdom of God must always be first. Seek ye first the kingdom. Obey the civil magistrate. Well, then later in chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, humility requires us to submit to our masters. Now, since slavery obviously is not a current issue for us, submitting to our employers is often a substitute application. But the point is, you can't be clothed in humility and be a person who's always kicking against authority in the workplace. If you're a Christian, you should be one who has a humble and sweet and meek spirit like your Lord. And now in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, there's another place where humility is going to be required, and it's in the area of wives submitting to their husbands. Few places, of course, are more attacked in the church today than in this area. If you would have God on your side, if you would have His grace to constitute a church, you can never lower the bar to appease the feminism of this secular culture. You can't do it. And men, we must prove them wrong by being the kind of men who dwells with their wives with understanding. Those who will love their wives like Christ loved the church by the help and by the grace of God. Now, obviously, this is an area that needs a lot of teaching, but God will not honor a church that does not honor His Word. It will take much humility to submit ourselves in these areas, but God will honor those who honor Him. But there's another place. As we've come to chapter 5, we are given an area here, another place of submission where it is required, and humility will be needed, and it is the area of submission to your elders. In chapter 5, in this particular chapter, the first five, uh, four verses, it is the context of talking about pastors. Peter is exhorting these elders to shepherd the, the flock, as it were, with uh, not by compulsion, but willingly, not with dishonest gain, not lording over them, as it were. But then we come to chapter 5. Many have interpreted five, chapter 5 as in a completely different subject, that it's only about younger people submitting to older people in the church. I don't have time to unfold it, but I, when I preached through it, I, I was um, using the interpretation from Pastor Al Martin, who takes the position that this is speaking of the church, because typically the pastors in that day would have been the older qualified called men that is speaking of the, the church and the elders in the congregation. So even if this is not the case, if that interpretation does not satisfy you, certainly there are other places in the Bible. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account, let them do this with joy. Not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. 
Now, that, this is not to be, obviously, a slavish submission, but it is a submission to your elders as they lead you according to the Word of God. They will never do this perfectly. There will always be areas where your elders will disappoint you. Just ask some of the sheep for her from Roanoke are here with us today. They know. I've been with them long enough to know that I've disappointed them on probably more than one occasion. I expect vision, uh, various sheep were disappointed on rare occasions, even with a Pastor Charles Spurgeon and even with a Pastor Al Martin. If you are there in their churches long enough, these are but men still. How much more so with lesser gifted men who may not be like those guys, those guys but is, are nevertheless God's appointed shepherds over you. Now let me say something to those of you who have perhaps have been wounded either years ago or even recently by an elder or elders. No matter how many elders who have disappointed you in the past, no matter how many elders who have disqualified themselves or you feel are disqualified in your eyes, let me say this to you this afternoon, that God does not suspend His commandment because of others, the actions of others. In other words, we have no right before God to cease submitting to biblically qualified called elders in the present because others of them have wounded you in the past. Therefore, if you have been wounded, it may take more humility than at other times to follow this command, but make no mistake, it takes humility to follow it either way. The old man in us wants to be the captains of our own ships. Whether you're young or old and everywhere in between in the church, it's just a part of our Adamic fallen nature. But see, God has placed elders to lead His churches. And we're called to submit to them as they follow Christ. This is why I believe in God's infinite wisdom, we see no New Testament churches without a plurality of elders in the Bible, in the New Testament. Now, providence often forces this to be the case. It may very well end up being the case for you. But plurality means that even elders are to have pastors to whom they must submit and give an account. Pastor Timothy is my fellow elder and he is my pastor. He comes to my house. He gives me personal oversight concerning my own spiritual life and the spiritual life of my family. So just to summarize my first point, if you would find grace from God to plant a church in His name, you will need to go forth in humility and submit to all of His biblically mandated authorities. We'll take humility. We'll take the work of the Spirit. Anti-authority in this present age is run amok. We know this. And so may God grant us grace to not be counted among them. But now, secondly, another place where you will need to go forth in humility is in this area of suffering. The Lord put His people Israel through the wilderness journey to humble them. They suffered in that wilderness. But God wanted them to see His special care and love for them, even in their days of suffering. So back to Deuteronomy 8 again in verse 3. So He humbled you and He allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. It is well known that the saints in Asia Minor to whom Peter, the Apostle Peter was writing were suffering people. It wasn't simply a general suffering common to humanity. They were suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. 
If you would be faithful to this work of planning a church for Christ, expect trial. We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You will be tested. God has done so much, brethren, to bring you this far. Many things have fallen to your good without much suffering. But it will come. If you would be faithful, it will come. And there is one thing that you will most definitely need as you walk through your trials together, and that is humility. For you see, brethren, it's often the proud person who skips town at the first sign of controversy or trial. You will be tested. Therefore, it will take humble spirits to weather storms that are coming your way over this next year or the year after. Because it is a humble spirit, brethren, which alone can remain content with God when He leads you through the wilderness. Some of you may have just come through a wilderness, but we all know if we're Christians, wilderness happens periodically throughout our whole Christian life. This was that first generation of Israelites. This is where they failed. They were a stiff-necked people, you remember? Too proud to wait on God, so they build a golden calf, idol worship. Too proud to trust God, so they murmur and they complain. And so they start dreaming about the two hots and the cot back there in Egypt. My, how great we had it back then. So if you would press onward and see God's planting a church here, you must humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You must trust Him in your hours of affliction and trials. Just keep praying. Just keep trusting. For if you don't, you will most certainly start thinking like those Israelites and think, you know, this is just not worth it. I was better off where I was. And have all this stress. But if you go forth in humility, you will be prepared. You will be prepared to endure your wilderness journey if God so desires or decides to lead you through one. For you see, remember now, the Israelites, had they humbled themselves, would not have, they could have avoided that 40-year wilderness journey. It was, again, a lack of humbling themselves under the mighty hand of God that led them much longer than they needed to. A third place. A third place where you will most certainly need to exercise humility is in the area of dependency upon God and His Word. Going back to Deuteronomy 8, the Lord makes this point clear to His people. Again, he says, you shall remember the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you, allows you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. If he had to put his own son through this test, certainly he will with you. Now, the point is obviously related to the others, but humility will be required for a people to be submissive to all Scriptures overall. My my first point was in the area of submitting to authorities, but God will test us in submitting to the entirety of Scripture. He wants us to be dependent upon them in all things. To establish a true church, you can have no better statement, brethren, than that which we find in our own confession of faith concerning the Holy Scriptures. In chapter 1 and paragraph 10, the supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined 
and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other than the Holy Scripture. Delivered by the Spirit into which Scripture so delivered, our faith is finally resolved. If you would humble yourselves and commit to this book, humbly commit to God's Word, you will be prepared. Peter himself struggled to submit to God's law concerning fellowship with Gentiles. He was to show no partiality, but he played the hypocrite. He refused to eat with Gentiles when Jews were present. Paul had a rebuking before his face, you remember. He feared man more than he feared God's word. This would be a good word to you, brethren. You see, I look out before me today, and most of you are dressed, if not all of you, fairly well. You're a well-mannered group. But what if God sends within your midst a poor, perhaps poorly dressed, maybe even filthy? Will you judge them? Will you look down on them? Or will you welcome them in your midst? But what does God's Word say? James 2, two. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit over here in the good place and say to the poor man, you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You're going to need humility for that. You're going to embrace them. God tested us in my church in Florida. We were there and it's hot down there, brethren. It gets really cute. You think humidity around here is bad? Hmm. We had a man, like the second year I was there, I think. He had a, a, a bike. It was th- had three wheels. I don't know what they call it, a tricycle or a trike or whatever it is. It wasn't motor. It was pedal. He lived three miles from the church. He lived in a trailer with no electricity, no running water. He even owned it with five acres. <laughs> and he, for months, would pedal all the way up to our church. And when he got there in the summertime, it was real. But we hugged him. I hugged him, and I welcomed him. And the brethren in our church welcomed him and hugged him. Not all of them. Became a member of our church. He eventually married one of our widows. I performed the wedding ceremony. And they become some of our best friends and would visit our house every summer on their way up to Connecticut. Because this is where his widow's family was from. God will test you, brethren. There will be times when you will be tempted to pick and choose. But that's not an option for Christian churches. It is indeed the beginning of the downfall of any church to start picking and choosing where they will submit to God's Word and where they will not. For if you start doing that, your Ebenezer will turn into an Ichabod fairly quick. It will take humility to come to God's Word and say, Lord, I may not completely understand, I may not feel like submitting, but if your Word teaches it, give me grace and humility to obey it. It will take humility to trust God's Word in every area of life, including church life. It's His church, not ours. The Israelites failed to live by every word which proceeded out of the mouth of God, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And they failed because they refused to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. Fourthly, the last area I will mention where humility will be needed 
and it's been alluded to in our service today. It's in the area of God's glory. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Many of us have been Christians long enough that we know that everything that God does, God does for His own glory. Even the wicked for the day of judgment. And that is certainly true in the planning of His own churches. He plants them for His glory, not ours. 1 Corinthians 3, you know the verse, Who then is a Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believe, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Paulus watered, but God gave the increase. So then, hear this, neither he who plants is anything. We're calling this a church plant, right? Neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Beware of becoming more attached to a Reformed Baptist movement than being a biblically ordered church for the glory of God. I love Reformed Baptists and all of our sister churches. But at the end of the day, we want God to be glorified, not Reformed Baptists. I am a Reformed Baptist precisely because my conviction is that our doctrine is most certainly, closely, we believe, aligned with Holy Scripture. I'm sure every denomination feels the same way. But that church which is most closely aligned with the Holy Scripture will be the church that brings the most glory to God. But let us do nothing, brethren. Let us do nothing to steal God's glory in planting this church. You have prayed earnestly for over a year. It was God who providentially brought you together. You have been given the accountability of a church to oversee you. You have love and you have unity. You have resources within your midst. I mean, really, you just need to call a pastor next week and you're done. That was tongue-in-cheek. But never forget, it is all the Lord's doing. Deuteronomy 8, again, Deuteronomy 8, it was the Lord who fed you, verse 16, in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and that He might test you to do you good in the end. But then you said in your heart, My power... And the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. It's a wonderful thing to be under the smile of God's grace. Israel, too, was given so much when they did not receive it by their own hands. And so then God warns them at the end of the chapter, Deuteronomy 8 again, Then it shall be, if by any means you forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyed before you, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. It will take much humility, brethren, to not steal God's glory in the planning of this church. Always remember, it is ultimately the Lord's church plant, not TRBC's. We're only stewards. If it constitutes, it will be the Lord's church then, not whatever name you end up make calling yourselves. You will only be stewards of whatever church may end up being planted. Go forth in humility. And God will give you all the grace you need to build a church for His glory. Now, I have suggested four areas where humility will be needed as you go forth. The area of submitting to God-ordained biblical authorities. The humility needed in the days of trial and affliction. The humility to obey the whole counsel of God 
and the humility to need, you'll need to not rob God of His glory in planning the church. But let me conclude with what I hope to be two helpful means to obtain and maintain this very needed humility. Wouldn't be much of a preacher standing up here to tell you to do it, to have it, and not give you any information as how to get it or maintain it. Sometimes we do that as preachers. Just stop sinning, you know. Well, pastor, preacher, I would like to stop. Can you give me some help here? So I hope these two points are helpful and helpful to all of us as Christians to maintain and to obtain if necessary humility. Number one. Never, ever stop meditating remember the first point of the doctrines of grace. The doctrines of grace is part of what defines us. And the first one is the doctrine of total depravity. This is not the place, of course, to get into deep, too deep of what this means, but at a minimal, it means that we are hell-deserving sinners apart from the grace of God. When God wanted to... Give us to His Old Testament saints that they were to obey the command. And what He would use often to show them their need to humble themselves and obey His commands, He would say, remember when you were slaves in Egypt. But I delivered you out by my powerful and outstretched hand. Over and over. Remember when I did this when you were in Egypt. Paul uses the very same reasoning in Ephesians chapter 2. That wonderful chapter 1 of all the glorious things that we have in Christ in that long Greek sentence we've been preaching in our own church. So he comes to chapter 2 and he says this by way of application, if you will. Verse 11, Therefore, here's our word again. Remember, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that, what is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, listen to this now, having no hope and without God in the world. Could you have been in a worse place than that? No. If we do not walk humbly before our God, it is because we have forgotten from whence we came. The only reason you are saved and have any part in God's church at all is because God calls you out of the darkness when you were still in love with it. I've heard it said that there are two rails which never cross over. We cannot fully explain them. I think it comes from Spurgeon. I'm not sure. There's the rail of God's sovereign election and there's the rail of God's of man's human responsibility. And I understand what's being said there. Indeed, there is a me- measure of mystery to it. But if there ever was, and again, this is a big if, if there ever was one thing that allowed us to see where these two rails meet together, it's in the area of man's pride or humility. That is why God must humble a man before he will ever call on the Lord. Men refuse to trust Christ because their pride tells them they're okay without Him. Their pride convinces them, who needs God? I'm going fine on my own. Indeed, there's a little bit of Job's wife and all of us. They had lost everything. And what happened to them? What was their reaction? Well, Job's wife says, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he says, You speak as a foolish woman speaks. Will you indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? See, Job's wife was prideful and unrepentant. God humbled Job through his afflictions 
but Job also humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. If you're here without Christ today, there is really but one thing keeping you from coming to Him. Same thing that caused the devil to fall and Adam and Eve to sin. It's your pride. Like the religious leaders of our Lord's day, you will not have Jesus Christ rule over you. You don't want to fall at His feet. You don't want to be His follower. You want to be your own follower. You want the freedom to do your own thing. But if He rules you not in this life, you'll be ruled by Him in hell for all eternity. The reason the gate is narrow and that there are few who find it is because of pride. It takes a miracle of God to humble us enough to see it. May He be pleased to do that for you if you have yet to be saved from the consequences of your sin. Because He is a precious and good Savior and would delight to show you mercy today. This day, be of all days today, be the day you humble yourself and come to Him for salvation. Never let it be only a doctrine speaking of total depravity, that you have learned and think that you're ready to move on. We never move on from remembering this truth because it is this very truth that God uses to keep us humble. We are all children of wrath. God's wrath. Just as the others, Paul said. I mean, if you go look at chapter 2, it's this whole premise there. He's saying, look, don't you forget what you were. That's what God did with the Old Testament saints when He would try to get them to obey the commandment, obey the commandment, stop your idolatry. Don't you remember what I did for you when you were in Egypt as slaves? No, they didn't. And that's when they got in trouble. And as Christians, when we forget from whence we came, we're going to get in trouble. But now lastly, if we would go forth in humility, we must always be looking with love in our hearts to our blessed Savior. Peter gives us another good example here. He was lifted up in pride, ready to die for his master, until, of course, he stood alone in the arm of the flesh. And then he denied him three times that he ever knew who the Lord was. But, oh, when the Savior restored him and it humbled him to his core. And the ultimate restoration was after the resurrection, but there was a little place before that. In Luke 22, it says that Peter, in his last denials, was asked about the Lord. He said, man, I do not know where you're saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Imagine that. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had said to him. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Interesting, isn't it? Though Peter would still later stumble in his pride by refusing to eat with Gentiles, his looking at Jesus and Jesus looking at him would remind him all of his days of what a prideful man he is apart from the grace of his beloved Savior. What mercy, what love he received. Denying, cursing three times he ever knew him. Does Peter deserve to be in the church in heaven? So to go forward in pride. No wonder, you know, when Peter, when, when Paul rebuked him to his face, we don't read anything about Peter, you know, 
Who are you, Peter? I'm the first pope, right? No. Peter humbled himself. Started eating with Gentiles. Some things are going to come into your life. It's going to be the same height of need of humility as it needed for Peter. Dear church plant here in All River, North Carolina, go forth in humility. For God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Let us pray. Oh, Father, thank You for Your Word. Oh, how we would walk in such darkness, such pride we would walk in without it. So many Scriptures, Lord, so many. We know that You hate a proud look, but You love the humble. You love the meek. Your own beloved Son, our greatest example, which we heard read this morning or this afternoon in Philippians 2, How providential, Lord. Help us to continue to look to Him. Look to Him in humility, going forth in humility. May You strengthen our resolve to serve our Savior all our days. God, would You give continual love in our hearts one for another, particularly in the group that is here week in and week out. Lord, You unite their and knit their hearts together more and more through the work of the Holy Spirit. May there be genuine humility in their midst. May the work of the Holy Spirit be strong in them, Lord, that You might be glorified, that the Savior would be exalted, that many souls would be saved, Lord. We pray that there would be many, many, many sinners coming into the kingdom through this work, Lord, to those invited or those who are ministering outside through the week. Truly, Lord, we ask that You will bring glory to Yourself in this what we pray to be a church someday in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, it is my honor to ask Pastor Black, if you would, please come up and give us a prayer of benediction, please, sir, would you? Father, today we commit this time, this place, into Your hands, into Your work, Father, that it is not our church, their church, Father, it is Your church. 
Father, we pray that the task before us, Father, would be shared in great joy. Father, we would be humbled before you. Lord, that you'd even allow us to be a part. So, Father, I pray for these people. I pray for these leaders. Lord, that you'd just be with them. Give them wisdom, grace. Give them direction. Lord, what you would have them to do. We ask now that you'd be with each one. Minister into their hearts individually. Draw them close to you by your Spirit. And all that is accomplished, we'll praise you. In the glorious name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Please remain be seated. Just a couple of uh, points before we go to the to the fellowship hall. We have been asked to uh, to take a picture of those that are part of the group and this shouldn't take long, but we would like to ask everyone who is a part of the work here uh, to come up here and make your take a seat behind uh, behind pulpit here, and uh, we would like Pastor Atkins and Pastor Black uh, to be in that picture as well, and then while we're doing that, we would ask you just to please remain here. You can fellowship. We would ask that uh, parents with young children, that the young children would not run in the sanctuary here, and so if you would just remain here after the photo is taken then some of our ladies will go over to um, will go over to the fellowship hall to do some last minute preparation in uh, in getting getting the food ready and then when we know that they're ready uh, Peter has a way of, of calling us all together he has a bell and when you hear the bell sound that's our signal uh, that everyone then make their way over to the fellowship hall. And please, everyone, come. Uh, we would enjoy fellowship with one another, and the ladies have provide, provided some, some good food. And uh, so at this time, if the, uh, if the members of the church group would make their way either through this side or this side and take a seat uh, behind us, and, then, and, and then you can just fellowship until we're, we're through with that.